You're listening to an audiobook presentation of The Grendel's Shadow by Andrew Maine. You can purchase it for 99 cents on Amazon, on their Kindle store, on your Kindle, or on all major phones using the Kindle app, including iPhones, Androids, Blackberries, and Windows 7. It's also available on the Nook store and Apple's iBooks. Or you can buy this entire audio presentation uninterrupted or a physical copy at andrewmaincom books. Chapter 23 Carpenter and Alan made a beeline away from Westwood's direction. The glow from his torch was still visible as he bounded into the forest of trunk vines. When they headed into the far edge of the forest, the birds made an effort to stick to the tallest trunk vines. They wanted to avoid having anything in pouncing position above them. Alan liked that instinct. Westwood's plan, whatever there was, seemed rather incomplete to Alan. He had no doubt that he and Carpenter's path was the safest option. Going into town was the only option. There was no way he wanted to stay out in the forest overnight with the animal. If they could make it up the main street fast enough, he was hopeful they could outrun the creature. That was, unless it was positioned waiting to strike. It could already be on one of those roofs waiting to pounce. The thought was chilling. All he could see from the ridge was the lights of the town. He had no way of knowing if the people were all right. It had to be a cunning creature. It could have been capable of taking the shooters off the top of the buildings one by one or all at once. If that happened, there was not much left to Westwood's plan except bravado. He'd heard of the successes, but were they? Five people had died in the three days since he got here. It wasn't fair to pin that on Westwood. He'd only got to Grassy Bend the day before. But how many people had died in other places while he was hunting or planning? From Alan's research, lots of people. The reputation was built around two factors. He always managed to kill or incapacitate the creature, and he always managed to walk out alive. Were people going to die tonight because they believed in Westwood's non-existent plan? Was his hubris going to get them killed? Worst, at least to Alan. Was it going to get him killed? Backup body wasn't the same as actually surviving, no matter what they said. Alan was determined not to die that night and wake up a week later with a week's missing memory. To him, that was the same as actual death. He looked at Carpenter racing ahead of him. He seemed to trust Westwood. Was it his reputation or his confidence? Maybe that's all that mattered. People were faced with a demon they didn't know how to confront. Frightened, they asked for help. In walks a calm-speaking man who tells them how they're going to handle it, and they all feel a little less scared at the night. The families of the dead get some solace that this man is going to bring them justice. Their loved ones may be gone, but this hunter, this hired gun from the stars, is going to bring them vengeance. Somehow, the loss is lessened, and they can look forward to revenge. Biology degree... Celebrated scientist or not, Alan decided that's what Westwood really was. Catharsis. The embodiment of revenge. That was the missing piece for Alan. Westwood had given up on revenge a long time ago for what happened to him personally. He now just saw himself as a channel for other people's revenge. A weapon to be used on a world that didn't have any. Plan or no plan, it didn't matter. Alan knew that Westwood was going to kill the beast that night. He didn't know how. Westwood probably didn't either. He just wasn't going to stop until it was dead. Up ahead, 
Carpenter was having her own thoughts. She and her mount twisted and turned through the darkness. The river was visible through the patches in the trees. They were getting close to where they'd reach the shoreline and run up the bank toward the pier and straight up to the Civic Center. As a scientifically trained person herself, she knew she shouldn't feel hate for the creature. As a member of the community and part of an extended family, she felt a fire in her chest. She wondered what Westwood felt. Was there a fire, or was he just a man on one more mission? She saw the look in his eyes when he saw the blood stains on the Stevens' house. Was that for their loss or his own? She wondered if he felt anything new, or just replayed past experiences. Under other circumstances, he'd be the kind of man she liked. A little older, a bit of a rogue, brilliant, yet dangerous. When she watched him head into the forest, straight at the creature. She realized this was a man who didn't feel the same connection regular people did. Where she and everyone in town was trying to move toward normalcy, he saw his life as a line intersecting from one danger to the next. That was the only thing that tied him to the world. He was a force of nature, ready to collide with another. Carpenter and Alan passed one end of the trees and reached the shoreline. She steered toward the pier. Alan followed right behind. The creature came out at them from the trees. They'd all take a spill into the river with the birds, she thought. At least they could fight the crabs together. Closing in on the pier, Carpenter decided it would be best not to lose speed and just head straight up to the Civic Center. Hopefully, someone would be there to open the doors and let them in. Carpenter made the tight turn on the hill. Alan and King Louis followed just inches behind them. Up ahead, the brightly lit Civic Hall glowed like a beacon. Passed by shuttered houses and storefronts. Occasionally, she could see lights form inside. The music they heard on the ridge grew a little louder. Somewhere, a record player was playing. In the distance, they also heard shouting. It was impossible to tell what was being yelled. Carpenter kept up the pace and aimed for the doorway of the hall. She heard a rifle go off, and then another. The doors to the Civic Center were still closed. Someone had to see them approaching. She had to think quickly. Miss Bonnie and King Louie thrusted her lead and were taking them full speed toward the barricaded Civic Hall. If they didn't open the doors, they'd crash into them. Their next best bet was to veer to the left and loop down the next street out to the pier. But then what? More rifle shots went off. It was close to the point of no return. Her bird neared the first steps and began to leap. Miss Bonnie was confident she knew what she was doing. But she didn't. They hurtled toward the air at the door. She braced for impact and the collision. Alan and King Louie would make as they pinned her against the front doors. A second before impact, the Noyce brothers flung the doors open. King Louis and Miss Bonnie leaped into the hall with their riders and skidded across the wood floors they tried to avoid crashing into the far wall. Ken and Bruce Noyce slammed the door shut and began barricading it. Carpenter jumped when she heard a loud crack as something heavily slammed into it. The creature was on their doorstep. Alan was on all fours throwing up. The birds were in the back corner trying to catch their breath. Alan looked up face was drained of blood. I could, I could, I could feel its breath on my goddamn neck. Carpenter raced over to help the noises finish barricading the door. That's when she saw what they had used to brace it, a down steam-driven fire engine. Several tons of iron and steel had almost filled the front end of the hall. She had no idea how they got it in there. There was another loud crack as the creature tried to push down the door. 
Rifles fired in the distance. A stray bullet shattered a window as a barrage of gunfire pelted the front of the building. The pounding on the door stopped. A shadow passed by the south-facing window that was barricaded with vine wood and iron railroad tracks bolted into the walls. Carpenter looked around. The whole interior was lined with railroad track. He suddenly realized this wasn't supposed to be a fortress. It was a cage. After he and his brother finished pushing the huge fire engine into place, Ken shouted to Carpenter and Alan, This way! He grabbed her by the elbow and pulled her toward the alcove and the ladder leading to the bell tower. Bruce pulled Alan off the floor and shoved him after her. Carpenter began climbing the ladder. Aren't you coming? She shouted down to them. We've got to open the door for Westwood. Where is he? asked Carpenter. Bruce peered at the railroad ties that were covering one of the windows. He's out there, making it really mad. Carpenter raced to the top of the ladder to the bell tower so she could see what was going on. Chapter 24 When Westwood charged down the hill with the flaming torch lighting the way, he wasn't sure what he was going to do next. His first goal was to make a loud enough ruckus to draw the beast toward him so Alan and Carpenter could make it to the Civic. Beyond that, he only had fragments of an idea. Before he left, he gave the Noyce brothers some instructions. It wasn't a clear plan, just several things that they should do to brace the town, from putting shooters on rooftops in more strategic positions to finding a way to pin down the creature. He hoped something would work. This town had suffered enough. If he could get the creature to chase after him, he hoped he could draw it through the center of the turkey shoot he had set up along Main Street. In the light, the shooters would have a better chance. Most of them were farmers and laborers who had little practice with their guns. The biggest fear was the creature going after them one by one on the rooftops. So rather than have them spread out, he clustered them near the Civic. Westwood figured that the creature, despite its size, was still a coward. A powerful one, but a coward that preferred to wait in the dark and go after smaller prey. A group of repeater rifles may not be enough to kill it, but if the creature decided to go after a group of them, it'd get a face full of lead. It wasn't invulnerable. Enough bullets and it would go down. The question was how many it would take, and could they stop it before it finally decided to take out their entire position. His other fear was the creature could use its raw strength to just tear apart the building from underneath them. He had one group of shooters on top of the bank, which was across from the Civic Center. The other group was on top of the constabulary office. Both were made of brick. The way the creature had torn through the rockfall convinced him that it could take down the brick buildings if it wanted. The upside was that doing that in the open would bring a hail of bullets down on top of it from the other gun position. One of the men leading the others had asked him before he left about using grenades and napalm. Westwood had to talk him out of it. They were more likely to cause a fire under themselves and just make things worse. He hoped they took his advice. One careless man could take out an entire bank of shooters with a dropped grenade. Then all could be lost. The idea for using the rail tracks in the Civic Center came when he saw them out by the Stevens barn. At first he thought they'd be useful for turning the Civic into a fortress, then he thought otherwise. He'd been in sieges before with these monsters. They were bad situations. People got tensed and turned on each other. The creature's work at the rockfall made him glad he didn't encourage the town folk to use the Civic as their refuge. The improvised reinforcement would only hold out for a little while. If instructions had been followed, 
the 120-odd people of the town who weren't on the roofs shooting would be divided into four different cellars. He told them to strap the rail tracks to the flooring to keep the creature from making light work of the roof above their heads. The iron would slow it down a bit, but not stop it. The plan was to keep the people safe long enough to give the men and women with guns a chance to shoot it. Or stopping the creature beyond that, he'd given the Noise Brothers a few other things to do. They got them done, their odds were a little better. Westwood steered Lionheart toward the north side of the town and let out a loud yell. Lionheart let out a squawk, too. There was no way the creature couldn't know he was coming. The wind was blowing down the ridge and toward town. He was sure the creature would get a scent of its cub's blood on him. It had to know what that meant. Most animals with mammal-like instincts would. What it would do now was anyone's guess. Forest cast shadows from the larger moon. As Lionheart leaped from trunk vine to trunk vine, Westwood paid careful attention for anything that moved. He remembered that the creature had ripped the town constable right off his mount. Westwood didn't want that to happen to him. He looked for any thick shadows and kept looking over his shoulder. The light from the town grew brighter through the trees. The sound of waltz grew louder from the music and the record players and made its way through the forest. Westwood knew it was out here somewhere, close by. It had to have seen the torch and for certain smelled the dried blood. He reached the edge of the tree line and brought Lionheart to a stop. He could feel the bird's heart pumping with his legs. Despite his exhaustion, the bird was fidgety and wanted to keep moving. Westwood held him back. He wanted to give Alan and Carpenter a chance to get into the Civic before he came into town with the creature in pursuit. Westwood looked at the shadows the tree line cast on the ground. Something caught his eye. He looked to where he saw something. There was only darkness. He calculated the distance. The point was 50 yards away. He knew the creature could close that distance in the blink of an eye. He wasn't going to take a chance. He knew his eye had caught something. Survival instincts told him it was worth paying attention to. Without looking away, he slowly brought his rifle up and aimed it in the direction he was facing. In the shadow, the trunk vines cast on the grass, he could see a long, snaking shadow of a vine and a thick bowl. Westwood took in a breath and relaxed. He shot off three rounds into the void. A shadow separated from the tree line and headed toward him. It wasn't the coward he had hoped it would be. That was good and bad. The good was that it meant he didn't have to try killing the creature with poison bait later on and hoping it died of organ failure before it killed again. The bad part was that it was closing fast and determined to tear him to shreds. Lionheart wisely didn't wait for Westwood to kick him into motion. After the third round fired, it saw the creature lunging toward them and decided to get as far away as possible. He bolted as fast as his two legs could run. Chapter 25 Westwood knew his gunfire had only pissed it off. It would outrun him and Lionheart in the short distance very quickly. He needed something to slow it down. He stuck his hand into the side bag for a grenade. Would the fuse be too long? Westwood realized he'd have to throw it in front of Lionheart if he wanted it to go off anywhere near the beast. This was exactly the kind of situation he warned other people to avoid. Running over your own grenade was always a bad idea, especially homemade ones with imprecise fuses. He pulled the grenade out anyway and got ready to toss it in front of him. Over his shoulder, he saw a bright light flash behind him. He 
He looked back to see the beam of light as the top of the bell tower illuminated the beast behind. It paused, momentarily dazed. This was Westwood's first glimpse of the creature. Scaled-up version of the cubs, it had low, broad shoulders and a jaw that jutted out with a row of fangs. Its entire skull was shaped like an axe blade, with a thick brow ridge running from its nose to the back of its head. Its yellow eyes sat on either side of the skull. For a moment, it was blinded. Trying to figure out where Westwood was, it tilted its nose up, a sign Westwood recognized the creature picking up his scent. Westwood dropped the grenade where he stood and kicked Lionheart into a new direction toward a side street. His goal was to bring the creature around the opposite side so the shooters on the end could get a pass at it before he brought it up the center. Behind him, he heard the grenade go off. He felt tiny bits of shrapnel and dirt hit his back. He didn't have time to look. Moments later, he could hear the creature's claws scratching at the cobblestone behind him as he headed down the street. The scratching was getting closer. The backside of the bank was approaching. He saw the men on the roof aim at the beast. A series of shots rang out at the shooters unloaded on it. Its pace slowed down slightly, but not by a comfortable margin. Westwood and Lionheart raced to the other end of the street and rounded the corner just after Alan and Carpenter had cornered the pier. Damn. He hoped they would have been further along. They were ten yards ahead of him and the creature was gaining on them all. In the narrow street, his only option was to follow them. Despite going uphill, Lionheart found the strength to actually close part of the gap between them, Alan, and King Louis. Westwood didn't want to bring the creature too close to them, but he had no choice. He could hear the creature's claws hitting the cobblestone behind him. Hot breath on his back. Lionheart was beginning to pull up alongside Alan. Westwood decided to nudge his mouth slightly off to the side to give them a little bit more distance from the creature. He hoped it stayed in pursuit of him and didn't give them chase. As he came closer to the civic hall, Westwood prayed the Noyce brothers were ready with the door. He'd told them about using the fire engine. He hadn't thought about the problem it would cause trying to open and close the doors quickly. Rifle shots let out from the constable's office as the gunman up there let loose on the beast when he passed by. Seconds later, shots rang out from on top of the bank as they passed the other side. Westwood veered to the right as he could pass closer and hopefully draw the creature away from Alan and Carpenter. Lionheart skidded on the cobblestone as they made the turn. Westwood looked over his shoulder to see the creature keep going in a straight line after his companions. Damn. He pulled Lionheart to a stop and watched as Carpenter and Allen rode into the front of the civic hall with the doors bust open. The creature stumbled as it tried to swat off the bullets from the shooters on the roof. The distraction was enough for the Noyce brothers to get the door shut. The angry creature turned away from the gunfire and leaped forward hitting the closed door. Filled with rage, it swatted at the front of the building. Its claws left long gouges in the thick doors, exposing the raw wood underneath. Westwood aimed his rifle near a point in back of his right eye and fired. The creature barely winced. He fired again. It shook its head, then clawed the front of the building. He fired a third shot. The annoyed creature darted around the far side of the hall to avoid being pestered with bullets. The plan... What of it there was did not involve the creature creating an alternate entrance. Westwood needed to improvise. And fast. Grendel's Shadow is available on Amazon for 99 cents. Buy it on your desktop or your Kindle. You can also use the Kindle app 
Available on the iPad as well as all major phones, including iPhones, Blackberries, Windows 7, and Android. You can also look for it on the Nook Store and Apple's iBooks. If you'd like to purchase this audiobook in its entirety without interruption, or a physical copy of Grendel's Shadow, head to andrewmain.com books. This presentation has been read by Justin Robert Young.